we really didn't know, you know, is anyone going to come up on a Saturday and have a beer in our tap room? And we've been so blown away. I mean, it's kind of hard not to get emotional when you're talking about it. Welcome to Appalachia Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher, and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. Weatherground Brewery is quickly becoming the go-to community spot to not only enjoy amazing locally crafted beer, but also the chance to hear West Virginia musicians and even have a hot pizza while you do it. Sam and Aaron Fonda set up shop in Cool Ridge, West Virginia with a love for brewing beer, well, at least Sam anyways, and a fondness for its culture. They speak about their early beginnings and how their barn in the hills soon became more than just a brewery, but a true definition of an Appalachian startup. Enjoy. We're located in Cool Ridge, West Virginia, which if you're not familiar with is just um, right off the uh, 77 exit, the Gent Winter Place exit, um, just up the road from there. So um, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes from Beckley and 15 or 20 minutes from Princeton. So kind of just in between. Cool. So uh, when did you all start Weather Ground? So you want the the full back history here? Oh, the whole thing. Give it, yeah. So Sam and I met each other at the University of Mississippi. Uh, We were in uh, college there from 2005 to 2009. Um, And then thereafter kind of did a bit of moving and traveling and job seeking and ended up in um, Nashville, Tennessee for a little bit and then onward to Charlotte, North Carolina. So in a past life, I was an attorney in Charlotte. Um, So during my law school career there, um, Sam... Well, I guess I should let you speak to it. Um, he was in a couple different kind of odd jobs and then stumbled uh, upon um, a brewery there that had um, kind of was the biggest, I would say, brewery at the time in Charlotte. And he kind of worked his way from bartending to line cleaning to um, distro um, and delivery and then eventually found his way um, to the brewery stand for that for that brewery, which was kind of um, unconventional. Most people don't go that route into brewing, but he had been home brewing for some time and and uh, it kind of just really worked out well for us. Um, and then his journey from there was to another brewery before we decided um, in 2016 to kind of pack the bags and and move back to West Virginia. So so, so why'd you uh, start the hobby of brewing, Sam? Were you just like, eh, I want to make my own alcohol. It costs too much. No, uh, (laughs) boredom, uh, boredom. Yeah. Uh, just in between jobs and, uh, needed a hobby. And we were, we were in this antique store one day and they had a uh, homebrew supply shop attached to it. And I actually started, uh, after I bought my home homebrew kit there and started making beer at home, I started, uh, working there um on the side of my other job and so actually i started working at the homebrew shop before i got a job at the brewery that i was working for um but there's so many people that buy like a homebrew kit and 
make their first batch of beer and it doesn't taste very good. And so they just kind of give up and stop because it's a lot, it's a, it's a huge, it's, it's fun, but it's a lot of cleaning and stuff like that. And so once, uh, I think I made my first batch of beer and it wasn't terrible and, you know, you could drink it, um, but it, it wasn't great. But then like the third time it was really, really good. And then there were bad batches after that, but I kept with it because I, I became sort of obsessed with it. And so, uh, we just started making beer all the time at the house. And then I got the job, um, with the brewery in town, but I wasn't making beer for them. I was bartending and then a job opened up and on the distribution side. And so I started delivering beer and cleaning lines for them. And then, uh, like Aaron said, I started making beer for them and then, we jumped over to another brewery where I got to have a lot more creative freedom and um, do a lot more fun stuff. And that's a lot more responsibility too. Right? Yeah. And then, uh, but that's when we started, you know, talking about like uh, moving, moving back home after we started family and, and uh, doing our own brewery. Um, I don't think we ever dreamed it would be anything like this. Um, though this is pretty different than what we sort of vision um, back looked, in those days. Yeah, we looked at a lot of buildings. I was like doing these kind of runs home on the weekends from Charlotte. No one knew I was leaving. No one knew I was up here like scouting different, you know, properties. And we looked everywhere. We looked at buildings. We looked at, um, you know, I think originally we never really thought we would build um, the brewery. We always kind of thought we would find a space that fit us well. And so I was, you know, coming up and at the time I was uh, pregnant with our first child. Um, and so we knew we wanted to be closer to family, but we, we didn't really know what that meant. Like if that meant literally down the road, which we now are, or if that was going to be Fayetteville or Lewisburg or, you know, any of the areas that we enjoy going to as well. Um, anyway, so we got a phone call about some property in, in Coolridge and never thought that this would be where we ended up. And as soon as I think we pulled up and saw the property, it was like that aha kind of moment. So we decided we were going to build it from the ground up. And and how many square feet is this space? So total, it's somewhere around 7,400. Um, yeah, that includes... The brew house downstairs, upstairs, what we're now sitting in the office event room. And then, um, honestly the back porch too, but not the extension of like the field and the, the picnic tables and stuff in the back. So, mm -hmm. so I, I guess, you know, from your previous experience, Sam, you kind of knew how you wanted to design the place and do the layout or did you all, you know, that, that was the, uh, that was definitely, uh, one of the most fun parts. I think every time we were looking at a building like in Lewisburg or somewhere, we were like, well, this is cool, but, um, we'll have to this do is, like this is going to be forever, you know? And so like, if it's going to be like that, that's why we kept passing up on everything. And then finally it, we kind of came to it. Whereas, uh, we get to, uh, build it from the ground up and, uh, I get, I basically, I, we've both been to a ton of breweries. So we got to, uh, use a little bit of our, um, knowledge from that and do this, that, and the other, the way that, you know, well, I really like the place this had it, but if they did it like this, it would be better for this reason. And of course there's stuff in hindsight you wish you would have done, but, uh, we love the layout here. And, um, and the, the best part is about expansion is that, 
there's a lot of property out here and so we can we, we're able to expand on site um, as we need how did you all which i know you having a law background obviously helps uh, administratively when it comes to drafting a business model. Sure. So uh, how did you, I imagine, or, you know, did you all get a loan for this or, you know, how did you start? Yeah. So we, um, we were lucky enough that we had some personal investment. Um, we had some personal investors that, um, decided that it was what they thought a worthy cause. And, um, we got unbelievably lucky there. I think, you know, it's unconventional. Most small businesses now um, do have to go through the bank. And, and there are some aspects of this that we do have, um, that we have had to go to the bank to get loans out on. But um, for the most part, like the initial was personal investment, which um, which helps a lot, although it's super scary too. But, oh, um, definitely, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I think it, it, it lends itself to some flexibility. So of course, no, we had no idea. We sat down to write a business plan. And I remember sitting in Charlotte, you know, like going back and forth and trying to do numbers and like estimates. And I think business plans are extremely hard, especially if you've only maybe you've been in the business, but you know, you don't know like the ins and outs of like the accounting and um, like what the utilities would normally cost for like a seven barrel brew house. And I mean, there was a lot of research that went into it, but we kind of kind of did this like rough estimate and um, we were always kind of going back and saying, you know, like this is the expectation we'll make in sales in the first month. Like that's, that's crazy. Like you, ha that's a total guess. Um, did so, you base it on that market down there? So that was the other hard part, right? Like we were in metropolitan Charlotte, you know, it's easy there alone to have upwards of 250 accounts, like where your beer can be distributed in a county, you know, and we knew it was going to be a lot different here, especially when we decided on Coolridge, we really didn't know um, what the percentages were going to be against taproom sales versus distribution. We knew we wanted to start small, we wanted to grow organically, and we weren't going to like rush the market. Um, I mean, it took us almost two years to get into anything besides kegs. You know, we, we started bottling and canning just in this past year. So we kind of had to sit down and say, are we going to focus on the tap room and making a lot of different styles of beer, um, kind of playing around with what people like and then get into the distribution. Um, and I think some other breweries have to turn around and say, we're going to be pretty small in the tap room and we're going to push distribution pretty hard from the beginning. So those are all decisions we we kind of had to make, um, you know, from day one. But we're super happy with the way we decided to go. Who started out like you two? Obviously, did you have anyone else on board in the beginning, or did you, you know, kind of Anthony? Yep, Anthony's been with us since before, before we started. We so when we, uh, it took us a while to build this place. I mean, what almost two years? Not imagine year to, and a half, yeah, to build it. And so uh, we had a lot of time here. Um, on site and, uh, Anthony, uh, our head brewer was, um, at the time working for his family in the boat shop, um, down the road. But, uh, every day after work, he'd be in the garage with me making, making beer because we were trying to get everything down and, uh, and, you know, figure out what kind of beers we were going to make and that kind of stuff. And I was teaching him how to brew. He had never brewed before. Um, and so we really got to hit the ground running there with Anthony being with us. 
So he was born out of passion. Like he had a total passion for doing this. He did. He, uh, between me teaching him and him just researching, uh, he really, really, really wanted to be with us and, and have this job. And so he's been with us before we started. He's like the gym, like we found. We didn't really expect that, you know, moving back. We kind of thought, you know, Sam would step into that role by himself and eventually maybe we could find someone. But Anthony really knocked it out of the park from day one with us. He's um, been our loyal companion from, yeah, from the moment we decided to move back. So we got very lucky. That's awesome. And then in the beginning, we were, Aaron Jane and I would like have the girls in, or, uh, or Willa anyway, in the, uh, in the truck with us. And we'd be delivering kegs to pies and pints and, uh, yeah. the dish and everything. And, uh, you just made it work. And then Bobby came along not too long after. I think we'd been open for like eight or nine months. And, uh, and then, um, Aaron Jane's brother, Ryan, introduced us to Bobby, who's now our head of sales. And uh, he was was uh, selling the beer and delivering it for the longest time before we got finally brought on a delivery driver. Mm-hmm. So we were all self distro here. We do everything ourselves. Right. So did you, uh, you know, where we're at today? Did you have a lot more hand in sales back then, or do you, are you still actively involved in in that type of thing, or have you never been involved we're <laughs> in st- the sales process? We're still act- very actively involved. Myself, not so much as more Aaron Jane, and uh, kind of works with Bobby about like keeping up with what new accounts we have, and obviously. Restaurants close every week, and so when when one of our accounts close, we got to go get our kegs back, and then or just like it's kind of tough with uh, with that industry with turnover, and so they get new managers and stuff like that, and so Bobby and Aaron kind of work together to make sure that we always know who's uh, you know who we need to be sending beer lists out to and that kind of stuff. Great. So Aaron. Um, did you all have a, a network of like, well, you know, I know this person and they own a restaurant. I know that person, you know, how did you all map out in the beginning selling those kegs? How did you convince someone like, yeah, this is, you know, we're actually legit. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, this is so crazy that we, we still think about this and it's, it's nuts to us, but we're currently in a, a little under a hundred accounts and I would say, 60 of those accounts came to us, mm-hmm. which was crazy. Mm-hmm. So we started brewing. Obviously, we had some accounts in mind. I mean, we're great friends with the people who own the dish. We're good friends with the people who own the station in Fayetteville. We had um, been had the pleasure to meet some of the people down in Hinton that own the market in Chessie's and and then there were other places that we we at least knew of that would be interested in craft beer, kimono and Beckley, things like that. Um, and so we we knew that we had some feelers out there from the beginning. But then all of a sudden we started distributing and we have this thing on our website that says where to buy. And then you can click and you fill out this like automated form that writes an email to us saying like, we now want to sell your beer. We started getting those in like crazy. Wow. And mm. so... We just feel grateful from day one. Um, we had people that maybe believed that this was going to be something great. And um, and then we would do some tap takeovers here or there. And I think people were able to, to sample the product. And What is that? A tap takeover. Mm. So Bobby basically works with accounts. And um, the account says on one given night, we're going to take 
all or a majority of our beer off all the taps and only have weathered ground beer. Ah. And so like that, we normally sell six or seven kegs to the account for that night. And then they put all of our beer on tap and we, you know, do social media about it. And then people can go out, they can meet Sam. If he's there, they normally Bobby's our representative. He'll be there. He can talk about weathered ground. You know, there's like merchandise available, things like that. So it's just like one night you can try a lot of different styles as opposed to coming to the brewery to do that. You know, you can do that at a restaurant in Morgantown. How many styles do you have now? <laughs> it's always changing. Always. Yeah. Always changing. <laughs> always changing. <laughs> uh, one of the, uh, there's like this social media website for beer called Untapped that people get on. And uh, somebody told me the other day they just rated like our 175th different beer on there or something crazy. Wow. Uh, so really? We, we're always making new stuff. So we have maybe like 10 different beers that we um, repeat, I guess. Uh, they're not always on tap, but they're repeated, you know, we uh, repeated recipes, I guess. And so besides those 10, it's always changing. Um, but you have to think, right? Like we, we have a, unlike a lot of bigger metropolitan areas, we have repeat customers every weekend, you know, like we're one of the only spots in the area to, to come out and have a beer. So we, we never want our customers to come in and, and be bored with the menu or there's about you know, half of them that have standbys that they're like, they get angry if the, yeah. if the, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 dryer stout. That's wasn't. a great problem to have. Yeah. But then there, the other half of the customers, um, aren't, aren't interested in coming unless there's something new on that week. Sure. So what, what passes the test of those 10? Like, is it the market that drives that selection or is it like, you know, I like these 10 more than the others. So we'll just keep doing that. Or is yeah, it, there's definitely products. Some, there's definitely some that don't make a reappearance, um, because, Either the market here, either A, um, maybe we didn't do a great job on that one, or B, uh, maybe the market here is not into that style yet or that flavor yet. But I threw it out there, and and you start to uh, educate, you know, um, the beer drinkers around here, maybe about something they've never had before, and. Um, it's all it's all sort of an experiment, um, and luckily we we brew on a small enough scale to, that we can experiment like that. If but we, I would if say the market the market drives though for sure. The market the market drives it as well as ourselves a little bit. I mean, I think at the core of it, Auntie and I want to make beer that we like to drink, and then try to turn people onto that. That's the main thing. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone else can just hop on there. So is there a way to like, you know, I know how wine has its own catalog of flavors and how you judge things. Is there something like that for beer too? Or? To totally. Um, there's, uh, it's totally, it's called the flavor wheel. Um, so you have all these different flavors um, and there's a cool diagram I've seen. Uh, it's basically like a physical picture of somebody's tongue and like the uh, the front part of your tongue is what tastes, um, you know, uh, bitterness. And then like the, the middle, middle to back part is like acidity. And then uh, sweet is like in the center. I might have that backwards. Sweet might be on the front and um, bitterness might be in the Won't middle. Won't hold you but, to it. But yeah. Uh, but yeah. And then the flavor wheel, though, um, as you go around the wheel is like, uh, you know, citrusy, fruity, earthy, um, all these, yeah, all these, uh, all these different flavors, um, including off flavors, you know, things that don't taste good. And so, uh, 
the but yeah there is there is stuff like that and then uh and then food pairing is also interesting because a lot of the stuff that's uh very obvious um uh, there's stuff that's very obvious and then there's stuff that would surprise you because it's contrasting mm-hmm. so like you wouldn't think that like you know and i an IPA is like super citrusy, so you're like, okay, um, what should I pair that with? Uh, the obvious thing is something citrusy, um, but in reality, it goes best with like hot wings, you know. Right. Um, and so there's that contrast there that's that's fun to work with. But uh, but yep, there's so many different flavors that come from so many different ingredients, and a lot of those ingredients are the four basic ingredients that make beer, which is water, hops, malt, and yeast. But there's so many different types of malt now. Uh, malt being different cereal grains that are malted to a degree to taste like different things. And then hops is like 10 times more. There's so many different types of hops now that they're coming out with that, that produce different flavors that people have never tasted before. The yeast too. And the yeast all plays, plays an effect with that as well as the water chemistry. And so, um, possibilities are endless. Uniqueness is endless and that's why it's so much fun to make it. I'm going to geek out here. So like, for instance, I'll just name like my favorite is Guinness. But the problem I have with it is you can't eat nothing. You can, I haven't found anything you can eat with that except <laughs> like chocolate or something. Sure. Um, so what what kind of beer is that? Like that thickness? Does it have like a certain name like IPA you mentioned? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Guinness is a uh, Irish stout. Um, and you should you should try. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll make you try Inniskillen before you leave. Oh, yeah, yes. Irish please. Eat some, uh, I plan on purchasing <laughs> plenty of... Uh, if I'm having a Guinness, I think I would want some like uh, fr- fried cod. That's what I was about to say. I was going to say like a fish sandwich. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's kind of traditional, but it goes so good together. Um, tartar sauce. But Guinness yeah. though, like, so it's funny you say that. We have a lot of people that come in and say like, I love Guinness or I don't I, I don't mm-hmm. like dark beer because I don't I don't like Guinness. It's both of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's either it. you really love it or you hate it. Which is so funny because in when we when Sam and Anthony decided to brew in a skillin, um, which is our dry Irish stout, the ABV on it's four point five percent, so it's super low ABV. And when people come in, like, no, 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 I don't want a dark beer; they're too heavy. But then you have in a skillin, which is our dry Irish stout, which is actually very like airy and light and crisp. Um, and so then they taste that and they're like, wait a second, like this isn't a Guinness. This isn't dark. Well, it's dark, but it's not heavy. Guinness is um, actually not, not a heavy beer. It's, uh, it's a very, very light beer, but it can be confusing. The, the nitrogen, the, nitro. uh, the nitrogen and it makes it so creamy that it can kind of come off as heavy a little bit and kind of sit, kind of sit in your stomach a little bit differently than if it was with CO2. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it, it puts that mirage of like being very heavy. When it actually, it's like one of the lightest beers out there. I think Guinness is like 4% alcohol and it's like, if, uh, if you can get over that nitrogen, you can. So you say nitrogen, like nitrogen and CO2, where does that come in play in the process? Like, uh, which I, you know, Starbucks came out with the nitro brew or whatever, and it seems more creamy. So I assume it's the way it comes out of the spigot. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up. So pretty much. No, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's just the, the gas that's, uh, the gas that's in, in the beer. So like, uh, Guinness is going to be a lot less carbonated and it's actually nitrogenated. And so it's going to have a much creamier mouthfeel. Whereas, uh, and it's going to keep a lot of stuff in check. Whereas CO2, um, you know, in different beer styles like IPAs and stuff, it will actually bring the hops out tenfold instead of nitrogen, which would kind of keep it all in check. Um, 
but uh, for certain beer styles, it's fun to use nitro mostly in those uh, big dark beers because it can give you that very, very creamy effect. Gotcha. Did you all name all 175 of those flavors or is there some you're just like, well, we'll just not name that because it's not worth the time? Or It's uh, a good question. You should ask Sam who named all 175 of those beers. <laughs> I, I have tried, I think, maybe 175 times to name a beer and I think yet I have not <laughs> named one. So, um, It's the ongoing joke here. I, I don't get to name beers. I've probably named almost half of them. Anthony is... So I'm not, I'm not from Appalachia. I'm from Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you'll see a little bit of Mississippi in some of the names, but, um, Anthony is sort of my, uh, Appalachian, uh, dictionary for, uh, or a thesaurus, I guess. Uh, so he comes up with the ones that are, are great for this area because it's a lot of times it's all about the lingo, you know, like what do people say? What different adjectives do people use to call something? So like that's where the, uh, the beer Haggard came from. Uh, one of our, you know, um, one of our flagships, I guess here is our Haggard IPA and everybody's like, Oh, I'll take the Merle Haggard IPA because they think that, uh, we named that beer after Merle Haggard when in reality, we named that beer Haggard because that's a word people use around here to describe something. Um, you know, when they talk about somebody's truck, oh, it's all Haggard. Um, and so a lot of a lot of our beers are named after um, things that people say around here. So it's a process, like, and I love that because it's just everything you see around here, and you know, with the marketing, how you present your product and stuff, you can really tell that you're passionate about it. And ultimately, you know, I believe that's what matters. Um, so, talk about marketing for a second. Like, how did you start to get your name out there? Um, besides the obvious, you know, reaching out to who you knew yeah. and stuff like that. Like, how did you keep the consistency of the brand going? So we. I think it's obvious we live in a day and age where social media plays such a huge role in um, advertising and it's free, right? For the most part. So we had a small budget to start. There wasn't like, we're going to go out and run every billboard, every newspaper, every television, every, I mean, radio, whatever. We didn't really want that either, but um, we, you know, decided we're going to do social media and we're going to play on it hard. And we were able to um, early on in our kind of move back home, we, um, became really good friends with the guys at kid in the background. So, uh, Jamie Lee Smith and Jason Lockhart were, um, two guys we were kind of introduced to, and they were able to kind of take it from, you know, Sam and I can do Instagram and Facebook and, and whatnot, but they could take it to like a whole nother level. Um, they're extremely talented, uh, with everything they do from our web design to, you know, Jason does like all of our events for Facebook and in, in within the last, I guess, year, maybe eight months, we've been starting to do videos of Sam and I like talking to the public about what's coming up and, and it's unedited, it's uncut. And so like our kids are running in and out of it and like, but people relate to that, you know, they're like, okay, this, this is a young couple that has a three and one year old and they're like running a business and they're talking so passionately about what they love and what they they produce at the brewery. And so I think that that has taken it to like a whole nother level. Um, we're still diving into the side of being able to study analytics and logistics of people that are logging onto our websites or, or people who who's viewing your videos, who's, who's logging in and seeing what Facebook events you have. Um, so that's like a whole untouched area that we're getting into, but for the most part, our marketing, um, 
label design, things like that. Sam works so closely with them. It's not just like, hey, this is going to be the name of the beer. Can you draw something up for us? Like it is a very sometimes insanely um, unique process and meticulous. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, how quickly uh, was there a certain time that you noticed a spike like, hey, uh, you know, we're really on to something here. Was it kind of like is it a gradual climb as you keep on growing? It's been pretty gradual, I would say. Um, I don't know, maybe like six months into opening, it was uh, a lot of our core accounts had already kind of committed and then um, and then it's been kind of gradual since then I think that our general um, look into it has always been you know I always joke like really good barbecue low and slow <laughs> like don't don't run too fast and get into something you can't handle and uh, we're we're pretty much maxed out our production downstairs until we make a few more expansions and so that's where we're at right now and it's kind of perfect timing because we're getting into the dead of the winter and uh, we'll have some time to make some make some more moves here soon with getting a little bit more stainless or um and you know being able to uh to sort of figure it out before we go out there and say hey let's try to get you know 100 more accounts or um because we just added this pizza oven our, and so now we're becoming more and more of a uh, restaurant. And so we're sort of expecting a, a lot more foot traffic going forward into 2020, which is already, we've already seen. And so. Yes. Yeah, we have to think like if there are more beer being sold in the tap room, that's less beer that's going out the door. So it's, we like to compare it here. And for any small business owner, you know, and I, I, I cannot explain it any other way, but a hamster in a wheel. Like, I feel like we're always running. Um, Always. There is no stop, which is a good thing because it means growth. But at the same time, we never thought six months into opening the brewery that we were already going to have to make a huge investment. We went from four seven-barrel fermenters to four 15-barrel fermenters in less than a year of being open. Um, so you're saying to yourself, that's amazing because you're growing, but at the same time, you're like, ow, that hurts. Right. So, you know, to give a kind of a, how big of an investment that is, how much is one of those tanks? I'll just call them tanks. Uh, you know, the, how many do you have downstairs that actually brews? Is it one? Well, is we it? have we have eight fermenters. Where the, but that's uh, not where you, that's not where you brew. Yeah, no. The uh, well, I mean, but just production capacity. We have eight, eight of those tanks that ferment beer, and then we have six serving tanks, which we use as what's called bright tanks. So that's where like the conditioning happens. Um, so we basically have two, two massive tanks that we brew in. Gotcha. And then you have four, seven barrel fermenters, four, 15 barrel fermenters. So when we say fermenters after the brew day is done, beer is transferred into those fermenters for it to ferment until it is ready. Okay. So on any given day, they're going to be in the mash tun and the boil kettle that's what you brew in. And then at the end of the day, those are emptied and that beer then goes into one of those fermenters or a bright tank, which is in our walk-in cooler. So basically all the stainless you see down there for the most part is beer where it sits until it's ready to be served does, or the barrels. Does the different types command like does each one of them have different schedules or do they all, are they all pretty much ready at the same there's time? There's a lot of different variables, but I have 
different windows of, of time. And, and that's where it can be tricky being production manager is, is, uh, you're always thinking, trying to think two steps ahead with scheduling. And sometimes it doesn't work out the way you want to, because in reality, the, uh, it's a living thing that you're working with. The, uh, the beer is. And so there's different variables that cause it to not be ready on time. And that's fine. You just have to accept that because the last thing we want to do is get into a situation where we're putting a product out there that's not ready. And so, um, so each we might, one of those we might, we might plan on doing something next Wednesday, but in reality it's probably going to be next Friday or it might end up being on Monday if the beer is done by then. Gotcha. Yeah. So, each one of those tanks are uh, own temperature. Sam can, decide what temperatures those are. And that all depends on the t- style of beer that it is. Um, you know, some of those beers, two weeks, some of those beers, six weeks, some of the beer in, in barrels one, one year. Are, are a year. Right. Do you have like a master chart that has like color grids? It's all up I'll here. Just, oh, oh man. Yeah. I envy you. Yeah. I'm, I'm way more, you have some people that are like to look at data and like, uh, you know, like, like to look at charts and boards and stuff like that. And, uh, and like to write a schedule and stuff. And I'm way more of a, uh, of a f- feeling kind of person. I do it as I feel it. And, uh, and that hurts sometimes because uh, you need to be more organized, but, uh, that's the way I do it. And that's the way we, well, it's, it's working. Right so you don't want to, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how do you know as you go, like, okay, it's time to hire these two people or it's time to, you know, add a brick oven or a pizza oven. Um, you know, do you kind of not feel a hundred percent about those changes when they happen or are you pretty confident when they arrive? No, I, I, I feel like we work ourselves into a corner that there's like no other option. Um, you and I were speaking before we started the podcast that we were in the wedding industry there for a bit when we first opened. So we made that decision. We did it for a year. We knew at the end of that year that was done. It was fine. It was great why it happened. We knew it wasn't something that we wanted to continue and we could close that chapter very easily with no regret and move on. The brick oven was something that went in because after being open two and a half years, we were always having to either have food trucks or like catering companies to do food in the tap room. We consider ourselves a destination. People are going to come up here. Some people aren't used to drinking craft beer. They need something to eat. Um, so the brick oven was something that could have been installed two years ago, um, but we didn't have the time, the energy, the finances, what whatever it was. Um, but it was very easy to make that decision. Same with Sam said about Bobby. We were wearing him thin. He was delivering and trying to gain new accounts. Like it was obvious we needed a delivery driver. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it was 159 beers. I just checked it. Sorry. Hey, 159. You know, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what's going on, man? You're slacking over there. Um, so to answer your question, for us, it has always been, I mean, and you can disagree, but I feel like, Sam and I get to the point where we're like, we physically, mentally, emotionally cannot do this for ourselves any longer. Like we have to let go. And like you are a small business owner. It's your child. It's our, it's our third child. So like we're very particular and we're, and sometimes probably need to let things go way before we do. Um, but 
I always try to remind myself that like by adding someone else, it might be someone else on the payroll, but that's just how much of an increase you're going to see in your business profiting. Um, or at least you hope, right? Like if everyone's doing their job. So sure. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause yeah, I, I used to be a wedding videographer and it was every weekend. My wife, she has a full-time job. She would help me. We would be gone on the weekends. There was a point in time we was doing 20 plus weddings in a year. Plus I was running my business and she was working and yeah. there comes a point in time time to where it's like, yeah, I love this, but I also love my family. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. and I also love my mental health. Sure. Um, so yeah. How did you, um, how did you separate the business from your home life being working parents and business owners and working together, you know, which can be <laughs> stressful. There's, there's not much separation. There's no sep. Well, I wouldn't say there's no, if you look out that window right there, that's our house. Mm -hmm. um, so physically there's no work-life separation. Um, and other, I feel like in other places, like while you're open to the public, you know, if something wrong happens, then uh, they have to figure it out because the owner's not there. You know, they're on the other side of town or they're on wherever. But like with us, it's like if something wrong happens, we just walk across the field. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> right. But I think you're right. Like, I don't think enough people probably recognize that not only do we live on the same property as our business, but Sam and I do this together, like 50-50. So you'll see some people that maybe own a small business, but only one of person in the marriage is, is part of that small business. And the other one is just kind of like helping Sam and I work together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we parent together the same. And so I would, I would, I think it's an amazing blessing that we can have our girls around us as much as we do because of the flexibility of our job. Um, but it presents the same thing as like, you want to be a parent when you're supposed to be a parent and you want to be a business owner when you're supposed to be a business owner and yep. the lines merge. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's so cool that we're sitting in 2020 and that a husband and wife on equal footing can own a business and both be moms and dads. Like mm -hmm. that's awesome. And I think you're lucky too in the fact that you all roll, it seems like you roll well off of each other. Like you can tell Sam is like the scientist. Like, I just want to make beer today. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go and you can handle all the administrative and all the, the business decisions. Pinpointed exactly. Like if you come in our tap room and ask anything besides beer, he's like, you can ask my wife. <laughs> like you can go, she's somewhere around. That's, that's going to be the quote that we, uh, we hang on the wall and get framed is that's an Aaron Jane question because mm -hmm. I say I say that at least 20 times a day yeah but we knew that going into it right like he looked me in the face four years ago and said I'm brewing the beer you know and and that was a decision we made and some days it's really hard you know doing um wearing lots of different hats but uh right now I wouldn't have it any other way mm -hmm. some days are very long but oh, I think it'd be a nightmare if he liked doing what you liked doing because <laughs> yeah. I think that's what there's no distinguishing yeah there's just no like everyone has their own specialty and then you know part of running a business is you got to let people be great at what they're great at so you can really tell it's it's in I'm great here. I'm great at bugging her <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but yeah I think we found we've kind of found that but going back to your question too about like employment we're just now feeling comfortable. Like we need someone else. Okay. We got to bring them on, you know, forever. It was this, do we really need them? Do we really, you know, do we really need to fork out that extra? Like, but now we're like, no, 
we need a person that's a flex position downstairs. We need someone that can help clean kegs and, and keg beer and transfer beer. And that's three things he's not doing while he's trying to do production management. And that's three things that Anthony's not doing while he's trying to brew. And that's three things that uh, Bobby's not doing while he's trying to get to accounts, right? Like, so I think it comes with just feeling comfortable you know, taking that next step and it's not always easy, but sure. And need to point out that we have a lot of, uh, volunteers here. <laughs> we, have uh, so many people. we have, you know, a handful of the people that are, what I would consider regulars that come here every weekend. They have always said, like, if you need us for anything, please tell us. And we ignored that for a long time. And now I'm like calling them all the time on canning day. They're coming in helping us label, um, we have just five or six regulars at the brewery, um, that are volunteer to help Sunday night. We had a benefit concert and all those, uh, volu- those regulars were here to, you know, um, be a part of that benefit concert and to drink beer and have a good time. And what did they end up doing? Running food for us, mm-hmm. running, uh, Bussing bussing tables, uh, just constantly working for nothing. Um, They just just want to see this place succeed. That's Appalachia right there. So, you know, bringing that up, how important is it in a rural community, we'll say, uh, how important is community involvement, you know, with your success? Everything. Yeah, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. I mean, from day one, we we wanted to call this a community gathering place. and so we're family friendly. Um, we have on any given day, you can find a newborn to someone that's 95 years old here. Um, we, that was always important to us. We wanted, and eventually we, we want to grow that. We want to be able to do more with the land here. We want to be able to maybe plant berry fields one day and be able to have people be able to pick berries. And, and we, we do events every month. You can find us doing some type of event here that involves the community. Um, because we would not be alive and prosperous in this business if we didn't have the community. Um, and I think that was one of our biggest fears coming into a, a place like Coolridge because we we really didn't know, you know, is anyone going to come up on a Saturday and have a beer in our tap room? And we've been so blown away. I mean, it's kind of hard not to get emotional when you're talking about it because you've had like this this. It's in, it's just insane. Um, same way, yeah. And uh, community is everything, especially around here. And it's it's so important to support small businesses. So that's just amazing to me that you know you have people. I think the appreciation too. They're like, you know, I really appreciate this place, and I want to make sure it lasts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think I think that's just that's just so awesome to hear. Um, so your events, you know, do you all kind of have like a yearly schedule on like, well, we'd like to do an event for this. We'd like to have, you know, a concert for this. Uh, when did you decide to start, you know, bringing bands in and, and stuff like that? Uh, that, that was kind of from, from the beginning we had music cause that's an obvious way to draw people in here is for some entertainment, but then, and we never ch- charge cover. We never have a cover charge, uh, which can be difficult sometimes. Um, but so the, uh, uh, the, the guys at Kid in the Background, um, our media company that we use, they're uh, they're all musicians, and so they help us a lot with that area. And uh, we have two, two or three major events a year: the anniversary party, the Oktoberfest party, and then Pub Fest is this huge music festival thrown by um, 
our our friend Bill Fraley and as well as some other local musicians. Um, it's but, really done by the West Virginia Collective, yeah, which WV is a, Collective. It's a nonprofit in the area that's trying to enrich you know Appalachia still with like the arts and theater and music, and so we're a part of that nonprofit and. We are the venue for it, and all ticket proceeds go to West Virginia Public Broadcasting. So it happens this year. It's May 16th. Um, all of the musicians that play that day obviously play for free. They all have to be from West Virginia, which is super cool. So it's only West Virginia musicians. And um, and then, like we said, all the ticket proceeds go um, to just continuing to enrich um, like public broadcasting does in, in southern West Virginia and Appalachia. So all the other events just pop up. That's like me and my bar manager, right? As you walked in today, that was what our meeting was about. Like we're already trying to put on uh, the calendar, the events for the anniversary party and for, which is in August. Um, we had Oktoberfest, like he said, we do like a chili cook-off. We pair with the Humane Society all the time for events. They're, you know, one of the big organizations we support in the area. Um, and so every month we're always looking for something you know, to get people out and about. And I mean, that's kind of how you keep going, but people get excited about those events and it gives them a reason to come out, especially if it's supporting a cause. And we, um, team up with like the, the local, uh, VFW, um, usually in February and again in the fall. So, um, yeah, if anyone's listening and, and they're part of a, a nonprofit or a charity or anything that they want to do, we, we love pairing, helping people out with good music. And good beer. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, getting the community to buy in. You know, you all putting yourself out there and making connections like that. You know, I think that make that matters when they go in and see, oh, Weather Ground is able, available for purchase here. Yeah. You know, I think that, that subliminally, I don't know if it's subliminally, but that just tells them like, yeah, this is community right here. Community beer, you know, good things. Um Great. So, you know, what's the what's the plan? Like, I know you're expanding now with uh, restaurant services. How did you like, do you all have a dedicated chef or do you have someone that comes in and cooks the food? Did you say, you know, Anthony cooked the food? <laughs> there, there was there was a time here that if you probably got food from the kitchen, it was one of our other employees that was helping out. But um no, we just we just recently brought on an individual, uh, Devin Coffee, who's running our kitchen. He is um, a gentle giant and our kitchen is not very big. So, um, he does a phenomenal job in there. Um, we were lucky to have found him. Um, and then another gentleman by the name of Nate Poland, he's helping out on a few days a week as well. So we have two people that are kind of fixed in the kitchen right now. Um, we offered only 10, uh, items on our menu. So three appetizers, two salads, five pizzas. It's enough, um, they're all thin crust brick oven style pizzas. So yeah, that's, that's the plan right now. That was the expansion. Do you have a certain, uh, hours that you're open or did you extend hours or? Yeah. So we, um, we're open the same hours now same at the hour. kitchen. Yeah. So if you go to our website, you can find out all of that information, just weathergroundbrewery.com Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We are thinking not, we have not like checked the box yet, but we're thinking about moving into Wednesdays. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. We've, we've, we're we just, just we haven't set the date on when we're going to do it, but it's, uh, yeah, it's in the works. So it'll be Wednesday through Sunday. Did you see some increase in requirements when you went to, you know, self selling food, not just beer, like, uh, state requirements when it sure. comes to inspections. We've always had to have food because of, uh, we have a wine license. We have a wine license and, uh, 
And just when there's alcohol involved, you have to have food. But um, we never wanted, or at least in the beginning, didn't did not want to do it ourselves. We have the kitchen back there because for catering, because we knew we'd have a lot of weddings and that kind of stuff out here. Mm-hmm. But then uh, we started out the first year with a food truck that was always parked here, and they sort of handled everything for us. Um, but then, you know, weather inclements and uh, and just different things sort of pushed us into the kitchen ourselves. And then uh, we had another catering company come and help us for a long time in there. They were phenomenal. It just, you know, it was you work here for a year, year and a half. And, you know, people, it's, it's the same in same thing in and out. It, you you got to be here Thursday through Sunday when we're open. Well, maybe some of those days we aren't busy, you know, and if you're not you don't have a personal stake in it, then it's easy to be like, well, we're probably not going to come today just because we're not going to be busy, but we have to have food. Right. So we kept running into this, like Sam and I were working the kitchen when we should have been at home with our kids. And so like, we were just like, we're done yet again, personally stretched too thin. So that was a very, we pushed ourselves into a corner of like, this is it. You know, we're opening a kitchen, weather ground, run kitchen. I'm glad you brought that up. So you have, if you sell beer, you have to sell food. Uh, stipulation. If you sell beer, you, you should have something that they can at least snack on. So like chips, pretzels, popcorn, any of those, when you then step into a private wine and growler license, which they're paired together, which is kind of strange, but, um, you have to have a food menu. And this is the state requirement? Correct. The West Virginia ABCA. Okay. Is there federal requirements or is it just mainly state controlled? Mainly state. The only time that we deal with the TTB, which is the federal side, the Tobacco and Trade Bureau, is if we were to start crossing state lines with our product. So and we pay, ta- we, we pay we, taxes. We have to pay federal obviously. taxes yeah. off of the beer we make. Yeah. But yeah. We, don't, so. we don't have to submit anything for like approval, like label approval or anything like that to the TTB until we start going right across the state line. And this is uh, really late for this question, but how did you decide like how much a beer costs? Is it a calculator? You know, you're like, it well, is, it's a cal- well, you have to calculate it by the ingredients that go into it. And so mar- your, and so your cost, and then you also have to take in the market. So, uh, you know, what does that guy's beer cost that is similar to this? And, you know, you can't be way cheaper and you can't be way more expensive. So you have to just try to find that, that uh, sweet spot, and uh, I never want to overprice anything here. I mean, that's I know that's a huge slap in the face to customers, but a lot of the ingredients we use, um, I don't think some people understand uh, where they come from, and uh, they cost twice as much as as uh, some of the cheaper ingredients out there. And so yeah, we, we have to take that all into account when we're because we're we have to at least make some money on this. So part part of our mission since we started was we wanted to try to support as much local, right, as possible. So one of those initiatives that we've taken on is a lot of people don't know that what he's speaking to is we try to support a lot of local maltsters. And um so like nationally, obviously you're going to get a better price for a big national maltster. And when I say maltster, it's someone that is obviously producing the the grain and malt that we put into our beer. And so a majority of ours comes from two organizations out of the Carolinas. Um, I'd say about 90% of the grain that we use is uh, from North Carolina. And so because they're small independent companies that 
are, uh, you know, a lot like we are trying um, to make it, trying, trying to make it out there. You know, uh, some of this grain that we buy is a uh, dollar a pound instead of 45 cents a pound, which is, uh, makes a big difference. Makes a huge difference. Yeah. But it's fresh. It's extremely fresh. It got malted like, you know, a few days before we buy it. And so it, the, uh, I think the quality of the beer is, uh, represents that. Yeah. Um, for sure. Perfect. So uh, last question, what would you say to, uh, you know, someone which, you know, a lot of people don't know, but there is a big craft beer movement going on in West Virginia. Um, what would you say to some kid out there that, well, let's not say kid, let's say <laughs> over, 21, over 21, that is, you know, having a passion uh, for, for, for making uh, beer and homemade wine and stuff on the possibilities here? Come see us. Um, no, I mean, I think it's exciting. You know, we left North Carolina in Metro, like in Mecklenburg County, which where Charlotte is located, there was upwards of 40 breweries in the county, you know, um, which is nuts. Uh, and then in the state of West Virginia, I think right now I might be off by one or two, but we're at like 27 or 28 breweries in the state. And it's crazy. Like this is, this is the movement for sure in the state of West Virginia. Um, I think that the, uh, you know, what, what sort of uh, keeps people that are making beer at home or home brewers from taking that next step? Is it that they have really good job security? They're, you know, they have a career already. And uh, that was not the case with me. I didn't have a career path in front of me at all. And so that's why I moved forward with it so aggressively and so obsessively is because I found something that I loved like that. So like, um, so those are the people I think you're going to see that can uh, they can come forward and, and open something like this. But I mean, there, there's so many people that have this as a hobby, but they're, you know, they don't, they're not going to leave their accountant job, you know, to go open a brewery. So there needs to be people that are looking for something to do with their life that you know because they're not sure. Um, and you got to be passionate about it because you know it's not something that you're going to turn on the lights and all of a sudden you know, be bringing in the, the big bucks left and right. I mean, this is something we do because we love to do it and we offer a space that we feel was needed. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the, the, the need and the availability is there. You just gotta, you know, you gotta be ready to have the passion to push forward. And I think the combination, as you know, as a small business owner, I mean, it, you, it, it's 24 seven, you sleep with it, you eat with it, you breathe with it. I mean, it's everything. So, um, but I think that the beer industry and the tourism industry in West Virginia is just going up. So I think it's a great time to jump on board. And if anyone has any questions, we're always help, you know, trying to help out the next never, person that's never, getting started. I, I never try to steer anybody away from getting involved in this industry because I love it so much. And so I'm always... I always try to tell people as much information as they want to know. We we would have never been able to do some of the things we we did without the help of some of the people who had forged the path for us before. Um, you know, one of our greatest friends is um, Sam Mosey from Big Timber, and you know he was always opening his knowledge, you know, to us about everything and anything when we got started. And I think that's the really cool thing about the craft industry is that. It's not, we're competitors, but, you know, we're also some of the best friends and, um, and always an open book for questions. And my old boss in Charlotte, like, uh, you know, I, I left that brewery to come here and start this and, and probably put them in kind of a tough spot with production, um, being one of their brewers and, uh, Nothing but you know, I, yeah, I, uh, 
I probably text him, you know, uh, once or twice every few days, some sort of question about something mm-hmm. that I don't know about that he does has more experience in. And so he's, he's always willing to help us. And so that's just shows you what kind of, well, what kind of person he is, but what kind of people are in this industry. Sure. Gotcha. So, uh, well, I guess that brings up any, uh, any simple homemade recipes you can share with us or is that not legal? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's legal. It would just, uh, it would take too long for me to get it. <laughs> This is a great time for us to um, promote one of our really good friends that just opened a homebrew store up the road. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the area, um, it's called Will's Beekeeping and Homebrew Supplies. So it's right there in Shady Spring. And there's a new homebrew club in the area in Raleigh County called Appalachian Alchemist. And they're trying to get more members and get more people to consistently be involved with it. And, uh, there's some really cool benefits of being part of a, a registered homebrew club. And, uh, you get, you know, you get a lot of free stuff from the American homebrewers association and stuff like that. So if you're interested in learning how to make beer, wine, mead, cider, whatever else, uh, reach, you out. Should reach out to Appalachian alchemist. So this is a whole thing. Like they have clubs where you make your own. Yeah, for sure. It's like how he got started in North Carolina. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, it's not it was, just about meeting up and making, making alcohol. It's, uh, well, yeah. there's, there's a whole other side to it as well. They have cookouts at each other's houses and get around and taste each other's stuff and give pointers and learn how to make it better. And then because you're registered with the American Homebrewers Association, you get different, different type of package deals and benefits throughout the year and, uh, benefits at your, uh, as well at your, uh, local breweries. And they're uh, licensed by the state too. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. And like, you know, at Will's beekeeping and homebrew supplies, like you can go in and, and find everything you would need to be able, you know, to, there's a lot of stuff that, that, you know, um, that we could order off of, uh, you know, an online shop, but we, uh, we drive over and, and get it from the homebrew supply shop because it, you're helping a local business and it's convenient and, you know, we pass by it every day. Yeah. Lots of good stuff around here. Aaron and Sam, I can't thank you enough for giving me inspiration through this conversation. And I must say that the flavor Stop and Smell the Citrus is by far the best IPA I've ever had. Thank you for that. You can find out more about Weather Ground Brewery by liking their Facebook and Instagram pages and also check out their products on weathergroundbrewery.com. Appalachia Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship. Like us on Facebook and Instagram and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at AppalachianStartup.com. Review our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon. You can support the show there and allow us to showcase more businesses in Appalachia. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise. Thank you.